0: So, next scripture reading, uh, which will be the passage for the sermon this afternoon, is taken from 2 Peter 3, and we read the verses 11 till 18. So, it's the final verses from Second Peter chapter 3. So, read Second chapter, Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Since all these things There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do to other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We are now coming to the final section of this short letter, the second letter of Peter. And as we look at these words, we see here the main purpose of Peter writing to his readers in a way, we come to the pinnacle of Peter's teaching and his application. And we see that in the final two verses. So 17 and 18. Take care that you are not carried away and lose your own st- stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter comes after going through various <laughs> chapters now says what we need to know to stand firm. To stand firm that when the Lord returns we will be found in Christ. So far briefly as we look at the first few chapters, Peter is there to ensure and encourage his readers to stand firm. They have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that they are in him. And in chapter 1, verse 10, he starts again by telling them to be more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. So he starts off by encouraging his readers. And the reason why he does that is explained in chapter 2. Because of these false teachers who are coming. False teachers, not just in the world, but also within the church itself. So now Peter rounds this all off. And therefore he starts in verse 11 since all these things are thus to be dissolved. And he relates this back to what we saw earlier in chapter 3 that the Lord, when he will, when he returns he will come with his judgment so peter earlier speaks about the reality of the day of the lord it is coming many in that time that peter writes or wrote did not believe that the lord is coming because there was such a long time such a long delay and the lord has not returned yet So they said, the Lord is not coming. There will be no final judgment. But Peter here, um, again, argues the reality of the Lord's coming. So for us today, as we read this again, is how do we react? How do we react to maybe challenges in our lives that the Lord is not coming yet? Are we going to be passive, just wait and see what is going to, to happen to us? or are going to be active in pursuing righteousness. Or maybe you don't know, and you say, well, I'm going to wait. It may take a long time before the Lord is going to come, and I will just wait, and I will make a decision later on. And I ask you, can you afford to sit on the fence and not make a decision? According to Peter, no, you cannot do that. Peter here argues the necessity to act. We saw earlier, Peter mentioned that the Lord will come like a thief. We cannot predict when the Lord is coming. So Peter had, urges us to, to act. So the first few um, verses within this whole book, Peter comes with the indicative, the truth that the Lord will return. And now in this passage, he comes with an imperative to us. That we need to be diligent. We need to increase in holiness, godliness. We need to grow in grace and knowledge. So based on that, the theme for the sermon today, I recall, be diligent as we await the Lord's return. And we'll see two parts to that. First of all, in verse 12 to 13, we're going to look at what are we awaiting or what are we expecting. And then secondly, we look at the last few verses, we look at the character of a waiting Christian. So first of all, what are we waiting for? Now, there's a few times where Peter used the word wait. So in verses 12, waiting for, we see in verse 13, we are waiting for the new heavens. Now that waiting is not a waiting with a hope that something may happen. Like maybe you wait for a bus that may come at a certain time. You're never quite sure if the bus is going to arrive, but you have a hope that the bus will arrive. No, here it's a positive expectation, knowing that it will happen. So we wait not in vain, but we have an expectation that the Lord will return. For many the life Their lives may be a motto that they have, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The problem with that motto is that death is not the end. And as we have seen from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, where we read, God has put eternity into man's heart. We know that every person knows that death is not the end. Many will not... Um, Say that they that this is the case, but um, as we saw earlier this morning for a funeral people say it's going to be in that 's a place people know that there is going to be something after death so how do you view the future for us as Christians knowing that the lord's day will come that should make such a difference for us both for now And for the future. So Peter writes here about the end time. And if you just read verse 12, you may be terrified with what you read. It says, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So as you read through that, are you filled with fear? And maybe run away from God? I urge you, you should not. We should not be filled with God, with fear. We should not run away from God. Why? We see that in verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. For those who are in Christ, we are waiting for something much better that is to come. And this promise is not just this promise that Peter mentioned here. We read that promise in the Old Testament as well. It's quoted from Isaiah 65 verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Read also from Isaiah 66 verses 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain but also we read it in the New Testament, the final quote from Romans 8, verses 21, that the creation itself will will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we who are in Christ, we are filled with hope. We do not run away from God, but we run towards God. It should fill us with a healthy fear, because indeed our God is an holy and awesome God. But it should fill us with a healthy fear and cry to God, wash me, Savior, or I die. So we see in here that the entire creation will be washed away. The entire creation will be purged from sin and purified. So we saw in isaiah sixty five and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, so everything in creation right now which is marked by sin, will be washed away. it will all be purified, and we are looking forward to that new heavens and a new earth, and we see in that new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells in that new earth that we are looking forward to, there will be no sin. There will be no place for the unrighteous one, because God will act in justice. Now, righteousness is a threat throughout scripture. We see righteousness, justice, and peace are promised and delivered by God to his people. So if you are in Christ, you can look forward to that day where there will be no sin. But not everyone believes this. Indeed, some will reject this call. And we see that in chapter 5, verse 5 to 7, earlier where where Peter speaks that people do not believe that the Lord will come. And we should know that for those who do not believe and who do not um, call on Christ, they will be excluded from this promise. So in this promise, the new earth, only the righteous will dwell there. But for those who are not in Christ, for those who do not believe, they will not dwell there. And it's important for us to realize that the reality, that there will be a terrible separation and exclusion of the unjust from the eternal reign of God. They will be under eternal judgment but for those who are in Christ there will be eternal reign with God where no sin will dwell we read from 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul writes or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God so I urge you to come to God give your life to him So what is your view of this future? Is your view filled with skepticism? Nothing is going to happen. Or are your view filled with an expectation of the Lord that he will come? If your view of the future is filled with this expectation of the Lord coming, then your life will be living in devotion to God. But if you do not, if you are... Skeptical about the Lord's return, as Peter warns his reader here, then lives will lead to immorality. So how we view the future has enormous implications to, for us how we view the present. We are looking forward to that day. The Lord will return. Therefore, we are to pursue righteousness And again, Peter mentioned that start of his letter. We saw in verses 5-7 from the first chapter, various qualities that we are to pursue. But also, as we read earlier in verses 10, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And that leads us then to the second point of the sermon so what is the character of an awaiting christian or the character of a christian expecting that the lord will come if we know that the lord is coming and we trust in christ in his words we are like a student knowing that the exam is coming or a couple waiting for the wedding day they know the wedding day is going to be there. The student knows the exam is going to be there. No student will just sit back, relax, not do anything until the day of the exam will come. Or no couple looking forward to their wedding day will just say, well, we don't have to plan anything. It will happen when it's going to happen. No, they are eagerly working hard to make sure that day is a great day. They plan Months, maybe even years in advance. So that is for us as Christians as well. Our knowledge of this upcoming day should impact our preparation now as we live. So how do we wait? And Peter asked that question, what sort of people ought you to to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And I think there are three sections here, how we are to wait. So three um, Ways which we can describe a Christian awaiting for the day of God. The first one is one which is diligent, devoted to God. And the second one is one who is trusting in Him. And finally, one who is growing in grace and knowledge. So, first, let's look at one who is diligent, devoted to God. And we see that in verse 14 where Peter writes, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Just again maybe to note here, the love that Peter has for his readers. Again, he mentioned a few times in this passage, he mentioned, be beloved. Peter again has a love for those that he writes to, a love for them that they will stand firm. So, Peter, earlier on, and we see that in verse 11, he exhorts us to a life of holiness and godliness. But now in verse 14, he continues, but from a slightly different angle. He now says that we are to be found by him without spot or blemish. And in this case, Peter maybe moves into a court setting. So when the Lord comes, there will be judgment. And Peter urges us to take action right now, so that when the Lord comes in that final judgment, we will be found without spot or blemish. And this is very much t- different to what we saw earlier in the false teachers. They were spots and blemishes, as we saw in chapter 2, verses 13. Halfway through that, So they are spots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. So Peter urges us here to live in contrast to the false teachers. We will be diligent in our growth in holiness, so that when the Lord returns, we will be found blameless. So how do you cultivate that in your life? How do you grow in holiness Well, God gives us the means of grace. God gives us his holy words that we can read. Every Sunday we can gather together to hear the preaching of the words. We've got the sacraments and we've got prayer. So I urge you, make use of these means of grace diligently, meaning a concentrated effort, not here and there on a few occasions, but do it diligently so that we will be found blameless when Christ returns. So again, if you look at yourself, and if you look at myself, how are we looking forward to that day when the Lord will come? How do we prepare our, our lives? And just one example, on a Sunday, as we are gathered together here, to be with God, to spend, spend some time with Him, Are you looking forward to that Sunday, to be with God's people? If not, how would you look forward when Christ returns? So how do you spend the Sunday? Do you spend it knowing that you have or you enjoy being with God? And that gives you a foretaste of what it will be when the Lord returns. But as we do so, it will make us at peace. We see that in the final verse 14. We are, will be at peace. That peace is not in our own, in ourself. Peace that comes from us. But it's an objective condition that we know we are reconciled with God. And it's that reconciliation with God that gives us peace. Paul writes about that in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that peace comes from trusting Christ, knowing that we are reconciled to God. But as we do so, and as we um, be diligent in doing growing in holiness so that we are uh, to be found blameless before him. We should do so trusting God in his word. There is a delay, some might say, in the Lord's coming. And that might let you think, well, I'm not quite sure if this is going to happen. Should I trust God's words?" Again, Peter here urges us that we can trust God's words earlier on it talks about in verse 13 about the promise and we saw from earlier on in this letter Peter talking about the credibility of his confession and of his words, of God's words so in the, there are various promises in the Old Testament that has been fulfilled by God had this pinnacle in Christ being promised and he came. So there's no reason for us to doubt the promise of the new earth and the Lord's second coming. So even though there may be a delay in the Lord's coming that should not fill us with doubt we should continue to trust in the Lord. And Peter writes here, so the patience of our Lord we should count as so. Salvation. And the word salvation over here is not just personal salvation, but his salvation is the full outworking of God's planned redemption. So while the Lord has not returned, it means that his plan has not been fulfilled yet. So the false teachers they consider this as a reason not to believe and to turn away from God. We should do the opposite. We should trust in the Lord, and we should be active in proclaiming Christ while we still can, to ensure that those who are being called accept Christ. And as we do so, Peter mentioned earlier on, we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. So we saw that earlier, how do you react? Are you just sitting back or are you making use of this time to proclaim Christ, to make sure that people know Christ? So we should continue to trust in God's words. Peter, he then quotes Paul. So it's not just Peter who says these things, but Paul as well. And again, I think it's interesting over here is both apostles, Peter and Paul. And in the Old In in Scripture, we read that on account of two witnesses, things are true. And here we have both Peter and Paul speaking about the same things. Now, just on the side, we can see here the love that Peter has for Paul. Now, if you know your, your Bible, you may realize that that wasn't maybe always the case. Peter has been publicly rebuked. By Paul, and you can read about that in Galatians two. So Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but as soon as the Jews came, he withdrew from them because he was fearing the circumcision party. And at that time Paul rebuked him publicly. But despite that, Peter calls him beloved brother. Now, Paul wrote to several letters in Asia, and some of those letters that he wrote may have been read by the ones that Peter writes to. So, Peter just mentioned here that what he teaches is the same as what Paul teaches. All of this in line with each other, but also in line with the other scriptures from the Old Testament. Now, as we continue to read... We see that there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Now, we often maybe call that and we realize that there are things which are hard to understand. But how do we react to that? Do we just put it aside and say, well, it's too difficult for us? Or maybe we even want to twist it to our own, in our own view. So, there are two ways in which you can react to things which are maybe tricky in God's Word. You can either be in a, reacting in a faithful way to this writing or, Peter warns us again, you can distort these things for your own gain. And often I do believe that it's not the difficulty to interpret God's words but the difficulty in accepting God's words. And then we may distort the message to align with our own thinking. Since it's God's word that humbles the Christian but it's a stumbling block a stumbling block for those who are apart from Christ and if that is the case if you want to distort God's words that often leads to distort practice as well so how are we to avoid this how are we to read God's word and if there are challenging passages or things that are difficult to understand how do do we uh, react on that Well, I think there's four things, four ways which we can react on that. First, we can seek to convey what the author meant at that time and not what you think it may mean now for us. But also, we need to have the rest of the book or the rest of the Bible interpret that piece of text. So, often we quote scripture, interpret interpret scripture. So, we need to let God's whole word, word speak to us Not just one passage, but we need to let the whole word speak to us. And often it may be good just to focus on the main thrust of of the text. Because that will help us to see the bigger picture. And there are areas where we don't know. There are prophecies, prophecies which we don't know. And rather than trying to to, um, think of it too deeply and maybe in that way distort it, Maybe we should say there are things which are beyond us, but we will understand when Christ returns. And then, finally, if we share God's words, then we should do so from a portion of text. So let God's word speak to us, rather than thinking of an own, your own message and then choosing a piece of text that may suit that. So let God's word speak to us. So Peter here comes with a stark warning that there may be things difficult to understand, but let us not twist that, but let us um, trust in the word as the word of God. And then as a final exhortation, Peter urges us to grow in grace and knowledge. Again, in this final exhortation, Peter comes with a... uh, warning or caution to us he mentioned in verse 17 take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability so how easy it is to be carried away in today's life society doesn't care about God's word and about God so how easy it is to be carried away with them but Peter says be watchful Let us be vigilant and guard ourselves for the false teaching. So we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is going to be the antidote for us so that we can stand firm. Not in our own ability, not in our own uh, way and our own strength, but as for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So how do we grow? How do you grow in grace and knowledge? First of all, how do we grow in grace? If we look at the word grace, the various ways in which grace has been used in God's Word. First of all, it's used as being meaning unmerited favor. So our Christian experience of grace is not on what we have experienced, but is knowing that God has accepted us first. It's not we calling upon God, but God has accepted us first. And as we grow in that knowledge, realizing that it is God who has accepted us, we will more and more love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to live a holy life devoted to him. But also grace can be used as a divine energy or power we read that in Hebrews 4 verses 16 it speaks about grace to help in time of need so we should ask God to help us he is the one who gives us strength so if you are in challenging times go to God call upon him ask him to come to you with his grace that he may strengthen you and finally Grace can be referred to as a Christ-like character. We read in John 1 verse 14, Jesus was full of grace and truth. So as we grow in grace, we grow more to be like Christ. So I urge you in all these three areas to look at those areas and to to grow in those areas. But also to grow in knowledge. So to grow in grace and knowledge. So knowledge of who Christ is. And we do so by reading God's words. And as we read God's word, and as we study God's word, and through his grace, it will lead us into a deeper personal relationship with Christ. So as we continue to do this, to grow in grace and knowledge, this will be the strongest antidote for us against the heresies of today and as we do so we follow Paul he mentioned in Colossians 2 verses 6 therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him so walk with Christ walk with him many of us would maybe call for a spiritual revival how do we get people to be more and more Christ-like. Is that on us? Do we need to work harder and ha- harder? I finally would like to take you to Nehemiah 8. So Nehemiah 8 was a time when they rebuilt the walls around the temple. And then we read there from a great re- revival. I'm not going to read a whole Chapter, but I want to read a few verses there. So we read in verses 3. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So they read the law, the book of the law. So they come to God in His word. We read the same in verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the. Reading, So again, the book of the law, God's word, was central to them um, coming to Christ. Read in verse 9, third part. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Verse 12, similar. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. But finally, as they understood the word that has been read to them, they acted upon it. We read in verse 14. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And again, they saw that the Lord commanded that, and it hasn't been done for a long time. But what they do, they act upon it and they celebrate the Feast of Booths. Now, at that time, the people they read the book of the law, they read scripture, they didn't know Christ came. We so much more know, or we know so much more as we read God's word, we know that Christ has come. So, we can understand God's word with so much greater fullness. We know that Christ has come. He has died for us. He has risen and ascended in glory. So again, I urge you in growing in whole, in grace and knowledge, is to use God's word. Study God's word. This is where we grow in grace and knowledge. I trust that that is how you Look forward to the day of the Lord when he returns. And if that is the, of the case, we realize that it's not in us, but it's through Christ, through the Lord Jesus. He alone has the power to save. He alone has the power to do all these things because he is God. And that is the reason why he is uniquely worthy of all our praise and adoration. Horatian. And Peter realises that. And that's why he ended or he ends his letter with this great doxology. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. I trust that is true for you as well, that you will send these say these words together with me, trusting in Christ. Are you preparing for that day that the Lord will come? If not, I urge you, because when the day comes, it will be too late. But if you're in Christ, if you look forward to that day and prepare yourself for it, we have a great future. We live with Christ. We reign with Him in eternity. Amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, Father in heaven, Father, we thank you for the love that you have for your people, that out of love you have sent your Son, that he died for our sins on the cross. Father, we look forward to that day when he will return. Father, help us in this life that we prepare ourselves. Indeed, we live with our minds focused on that day when the Lord will return. Father, help us to study your word. Use the means of grace that you've given to us so that we may grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.